What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Disc Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all love and support, and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform, and make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Disc Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Councilwoman... Porterfield, Delicia Porterfield. <laughs> How you doing? Welcome to the platform. Thank you. I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me here. Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited to, to go into our conversation. So many things have happened um, just during your, during your campaigning time. Uh, so many issues, so many crises, <clears throat> excuse me, that is just coming up. And um, you are a candidate for the House District 52. Um, and a lot of stuff is happening at the state legislature and Nashville being a blue dot in a very red state. The state legislature is an important, um, institution, um, where we need people to try to combat a lot of these harmful bills, um, that are affecting us every day. Um, and it will affect our future. I mean, future generations to come. And so before we get into all that meat and potatoes, um, I want to get into like your journey and who you are, right? That's why I love what kind of most about these conversations, like get yeah. to, to ask y'all, what did this urge to get into um, political spaces and um, combat harmful stuff and fight for people, people power, like where did yeah. that come from? So where did that journey start for you, for you and that inspiration? Absolutely. Thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to share that. Um, so it's kind of two parts to that story. In my mind, this started um, when I moved, uh, after I graduated from TSU, I moved out to the Antioch community, got really active with like my church and volunteering in my community. But when I think back on it, this actually started when I was a little girl. So I'm a lifelong Tennessean, born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, one thing that I saw from uh, being a child is that I always had this strong commitment to like justice and fairness. So I'm in elementary school and I'm reading like Roll of Thunder, Him I Cry. I'm reading Coming of Age in Mississippi. Like I'm reading all of these books about mm -hmm. like the civil rights movement and no one in my family is doing this. These aren't books that have been assigned to us in school. It was just something that I was like really passionate about. Um, I remember being in elementary school and knocking door to door for Willie Harrington, which was the first black mayor of Memphis. Mm. So I'm a little girl. I don't know anything <laughs> that's what's happening, but what I know is... You like, yeah, I, I, what I know is like, man, this is an opportunity to get somebody that looked like us to be the mayor. And mm -hmm. as a child in elementary school, I didn't really know what that meant, right. but I knew that I wanted somebody that looked like me to like represent me. So I think that's like where it started. But I didn't quite like realize that. So, um, you know, I uh, went to Howard University in D.C., transferred to TSU. I'm a Southern girl at heart, so I had to get back down south and fell in love with Nashville. So moved to the Antioch community, started volunteering in my community. I was really active in my church. I was at Mount Zion. So I'm teaching children's church I'm in public schools. Um, and what I saw was that our schools were like severely underfunded. Mm -hmm. um, teachers weren't making enough money. Support staff wasn't making enough money. The families that we were serving and wasn't making enough money. So I started going to like city council meetings because I wanted to figure out how do we get more money into our school system. So 2018, started going to all of these, you know, budget meetings. I'm, I'm trying to figure out the process and I testify before the council and I'm on a teacher salary and it was, you know, hundreds of people that testified that night um, and tons of teachers I was one of about five people that testified for paraprofessionals, which mm -hmm. are the teacher's assistants for in special education. Um, and, and in that testimony, I talked about, because in that budget hearing, someone asked, like, what do paraprofessionals do? And no one could really answer that question. Um, so being a special education teacher, I was able to answer that. So I answered it before the body. And I said, you know, these are the people that are working with our most vulnerable students. The, they're getting kicked spit on, they're changing diapers, they're feeding kids that can't feed themselves, mm -hmm. they're chasing kids that's running out of the building, they're doing this with fidelity, they're doing what they love, but they are making on average $20,000 a year. So how do you survive in Nashville, you know, on a salary of $20,000? Well, that year, um, what I found out was that was one of the few things that they put money back in the budget for was for the paraprofessional pay. Mm -hmm. The very next year, I decided, you know, hey, if some, well, actually that year when the budget vote happened, um, the budget vote fell by one vote. Mm 
and I was in the galley and I was just, you know, kind of had a little tear running down my face. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was texting some friends and one person said, there's only one thing left to do, um, vote. And I said, or run. So mm -hmm. that was the moment that I made the decision that like, if somebody's got to be making these decisions, like why not me? Right. So the next year I ended up running for office. I won by 25 votes. So if anyone ever says like their vote does not matter, their vote right. does not count. Like I won by 25 votes. And what I found was as I was introducing myself to my new colleagues, one of my colleagues said, I know exactly who you are. You spoke to us last year about the paraprofessionals. And because of your testimony, that was one of the few things that we actually put back in the budget. Mm. And it just really like touched me right. because it made me realize that one, they really do listen. Cause you know, people always think like they don't listen to us. Like they really do listen. But two, it made me realize that I have the ability to get people to listen. Like I have the ability to touch people's hearts and minds right. and I'm able to be effective that way. Right. Um, so that's what really started me on this journey. And so that was another thing. Um, that I was really curious about that I want to know when I when I was doing my secret top secret research <laughs> is that you know you're a special education coach mm -hmm. um was was uh -huh. um that ain't that ain't something many people are signing up to do yeah. career wise <laughs> right um what led you to get in that type of profession in education to work with again the most vulnerable um the most ones that kind of get ignored people over overlook yeah. um you know, we have these stereotypes about and really don't understand many times, especially as, as adults and as students at times. Yeah. Um, what led you to that in, in, in that journey? I'm just, I'm just curious yeah. about that. Cause I just know that's, that ain't, that ain't the easiest job for any educator to, to, to do. So to you do. have to have a special place in your hearts and to really care about people in general to specifically focus on, um, that community. Yeah, you're making me tear up. Um, so, again, I've, since I was a child, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. I just had this heart and passion for people and helping people. So I knew from the time that I was five years old that I wanted to be a teacher to the extent that I would be in my room, like, pretending to teach, like, my teddy bears and things like that on, like, how to do things, like, how to give yourself a bath and how to wash your hands. Right. And um, I, I just always knew I wanted to be a teacher, but I never knew exactly, like, what I wanted to teach. So when I was in um, college and I started taking these classes, just trying to really figure out, like, what my path, my, my undergrad degree is in Africa. Africana studies. So it's in like Africa and her diaspora and the people, uh, people of color, the mm -hmm. descendants of, of Africa, like our history. That That's what I um, focused on for undergrad and for grad school. I went back to get a master's in education, but mm -hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to teach because I love math right. and I'm, I'm really good at it. And most people think that they hate math, but it's because it hasn't been presented in a way that they really understand. So I was going to teach either math or history because those are things I was super passionate about. And um, all teachers have to go through a class about students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that it just clicked to me. Like I just, I understood like the first time I heard something, even before cracking the book open, like there were just things that made sense to me. And there were so many people that um, sometimes people feel like, you know, we other people that are different. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, those kids belong over here in that classroom. Those kids belong with that teacher. And I was able to see like, no, our kids deserve an exposure mm -hmm. to the best and highest curriculum. And what can we do to help these students like be successful? So I was just like naturally drawn to it. So I started teaching in uh, 2010 and my career just like, I mean, like pivoted, like after just a couple of years of teaching, I think my second year, I was already the department head. Wow. Um, then I went to a second school and I was able to, you know, same thing. I was in all these like leadership abilities. And then after four years of teaching, an opportunity came up to be a special education coach. And there's people that teach 20 years that, that don't get, you know, that don't get that job. But I just had such a, a passion about it and such a strong understanding. Um, you know, when, when we see kids that are acting a certain way, you know, most people, their minds just go to kind of like old school. Like, oh, they bad. They need a whooping. They need a punishment. Mm -hmm. My mind goes to why is that child acting that way? What type of supports can we put in place to help them? Has anyone ever taught them that this is inappropriate behavior? And mm -hmm. in many cases, they haven't so mm -hmm. you have kids that would do the right thing if you just taught them but because they don't know that what they're doing is like wrong or inappropriate no one's ever taken the time to deal with that and to, to properly teach them 
um, we're not giving those kids the best opportunities for success. Mm -hmm. So as a special education coach, I was able to work. I worked in schools in East Nashville. I've worked in schools in Antioch, worked in schools in North Nashville, all over the city. I was able to work with families and special education teachers as they worked with their students so we can say hey okay this is what this child is doing well let's think about why they're doing it and let's mm -hmm. put supports in place so that they could be successful um I, just a couple of weeks ago i ran into a student from white creek high school everyone was just like you know this kid you know he's following the class he's skipping class he just had all of these issues right and the, the thought was and you know the, the individuals were very well meaning but it's like okay he's breaking the rules so mm -hmm. when you break a rule there's a consequence there's a punishment so you know what do we need to look at for truancy what do we need to look at for this trying to figure out like how we can like get this kid on track and I started looking at his data and I'm like his grades are amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, he's outperforming everybody. Talk to the school psychologist. Talk to him. Very intelligent young man. I was like, let's get him tested for gifted. Well, come to find out, the young man was gifted. And he was so bored in classes that there was no incentive for him to go to those classes. Mm. He also was dealing with a lot of things, like with his family. He was going, you know, house to house, couch to couch. Mm -hmm. So there was no consistency. There was no consistent transportation. There was no reason for him to come to school every day. Mm -hmm. um, so when they were looking at getting this young man certified as emotionally disturbed, which was going to have impacts on his future um, based on his behavior, I was able to work with them and he was able to get a gifted diagnosis instead, which was a more appropriate diagnosis for him. And he was able to, you know, graduate high school without that negative label. I bumped into him about two or three weeks ago. And he remembered who I was, which is amazing because I work with thousands of kids. So right. I don't expect them to remember me. Um, but he remembered who I was. And he said, you were the only person that saw something in me. Like, you were the only mm. person that took the time to figure out what was going on with me. And instead of looking at me as, like, a troublemaker, you looked at me as a person. And you saw what was wrong. And you helped me. Right. So I've just always had this, like, I'm a problem solver. And right. I want to help people so i just i don't look at it as a problem i look at it as what can we do to uh put supports in place so that you could be successful so you could be the best version of yourself well this is a good pivot because um when we say we have a lot of problems going on <laughs> right about now <laughs> yeah we and, do. and so and so um before we get into these to these problems i want to i want to throw this word out to you uh justice um it's a loaded word, powerful word. It can be a lot to unpack and mean. It can mean something different to different people. And so um, as a candidate for House District 52, as a councilwoman, um, what does justice mean to you? And what does that look like? Yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head, right? Like justice means different things to, to different people. When I think of justice, I think like just the the base of the word, what is just, like mm -hmm. what is fair, what is equitable. So for me, justice looks like making sure that people are able to live in this city, live in this state, making sure that things are equitable for people, making sure that we're removing the barriers so that people can be successful, so that people can be the best version of themselves. Like at the end of the day, like people try to like other us and, you know, the Republicans are this, the Democrats are that, the independents are this, women are this, men are that. Like people try to like other us, but at the end of the day, everybody wants the same thing. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to go to work. We want some money in our pocket. We want a roof over our head. We want mm -hmm. our kids to have access to quality education. We want access to health care. Like we want a quality of life. Right. You know, so to me, justice looks like making sure that we can exist, that we can have a quality of life without having to worry about, you know, unjustly being pulled over or profiled or worry about if I, you know, drive to work today, am I going to make it back home to my family? Right. So for me, justice looks like, do I have a fair shot at, at this quality of life that I'm hoping to receive? And so um, what type of justice do we need at the house right now? Um, and I know your constituents is District 52. Um, but what does that look like uh, with you potentially um, in that seat? Um, there's many crises going on right now, um, housing crises, um, criminalization of homelessness crises, anti-blackness crises, um, a white supremacy crises, um, an educational crises. 
Um, Let's not forget the crises impacting women's body autonomy. <laughs> reproductive justice crises, yeah. right? Um, how does your definition and your understanding of justice play a part into um, kind of attacking and combating and figuring out the best way to bring justice around all those people that are, that affect people in different ways? Yeah. I would say the, the first thing that comes to mind is like wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. So as a legislator, you have to have wisdom to know how to fight certain battles. So there are battles that I fought on council that are fought with legislation. There are other battles that I have fought that is working with administration and working with department heads. Um, there are other battles that I fought that have been working with community, building a coalition and addressing a problem through community organization. Mm -hmm. So any fight that we have, um, you know, you have to use wisdom to determine like, is this the is this the fight where I stand up and speak truth to power and I know that this isn't gonna get anywhere. I know that this bill is gonna fail. But at the end of the day, I'm going on record and I'm bringing attention to this issue and I'm standing up and I'm being a voice for people that feel like they are the voices. And then there are other times when you say, okay, this can be addressed through legislation. This is the way that we're going to get this type of justice. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll just give you an example. We saw with the Dobbs ruling, Roe v. Wade was overturned, right? Which is obviously just a, a terrible thing for, for not only women, but for trans men and non-binary individuals. Like anyone who has or had a uterus is, you know, severely impacted mm -hmm. by this, by this um, decision. Mm -hmm. We know that we had this trigger law in the state of Tennessee. So we know that reproductive rights aren't existing right now in Tennessee at right. a state level. So to combat that, like, what can we do at a local level? So the day that the decision came out, I brought forth legislation that is requesting the police make uh, this their lowest priority because the police does not need, they don't need to spend their time um, investigating uh, abortions or allegations of abortions. Um, it's calling upon the administration to say, we don't want any of our tax dollars and we don't want any city staff mm -hmm. to be used to investigate uh, allegations of abortions. Um, it's calling upon MDHA to come up with rules so that no one will be discriminated with regards to how housing because of their reproductive history or because of anything that they may choose, as well as calling upon HR to make sure that there are ordinances in place so that there is not job discrimination. Mm -hmm. So that's one, one right. set, right? Then we have another piece of legislation that's being introduced Tuesday in which we're asking for um, the uh, employee health board, and this is for Metro employees, but we're asking for the health board to set aside a fund. So if someone wants to get um, a service that's not provided here in Tennessee, like a medical service, and they need to go out of state to get that, we want to make sure that we're able to reimburse like travel costs and lodging and things of that nature, mm -hmm. because we want to make sure that people have access to um, access to reproductive health rights. Right. So, you know, to me, that justice work, that fight looks like we we may lose a fight on one front. Mm -hmm. And when Dobbs, when that ruling came down, we lost that fight on that front. Right. But there are still so many other things to do. Like, we can't be hopeless. Like, we can't right. give up. We still have to say, okay, that didn't work out. Now what's the solution? What else can we do? Right. You know, if they're criminalizing um, houselessness, um, okay, so what can we do right. to provide more housing for people? Um, one of the biggest issues is state preemption. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we call it state interference. I've spoken across the nation on this. I actually speak in Denver the day after the election. I'll be in Denver speaking at a national conference about state preemption and what happens in Tennessee and it happens in Florida, it happens in Texas. So you see a pattern that this is happening in red states in the South mm -hmm. where a group of legislators are making decisions for the people of that state unfairly and they're not allowing the local municipalities to do their job. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people will get upset with like the local elected officials like, why didn't y'all do this? Why didn't y'all do that? Um, before I was elected, um, the council passed something that was effectively uh, decriminalizing cannabis. And if mm -hmm. you were caught with a small amount of cannabis, the officer had the discretion of whether or not to write you a ticket or to arrest you, which discretion, we know that that could be problematic as well. Right. However, it was a way so that, you know, we can like reduce the people in the pipeline, like going, getting locked up, right? Mm -hmm. um, the state came back and said, you can't do that. You know, we look at things like inclusionary housing. We look at things like local hire and the state 
state always comes back and say, well, you can't do those things. So we will pass legislation on a local level. And in that next session, the state will come back and just gut it. Right. So we have to make sure that we're, we're speaking up on that and letting them know, like, like you're tying our hands and we can't best serve our communities wow. when we're being preempted at every level. And that comes through personal relationships. I've gotten more passed on council with personal relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had people that that didn't believe in what I was fighting for or they didn't think that this was the right way to do it. But based on personal relationships with people, Mm -hmm. you know, that is what gets people to to actually sit down and listen and let me hear your point of view. You know, and we know that that some people are extremists. You know, we have to fight back against the extremists. You never back back down on like the core beliefs of what we believe in. Like we're never going to back down on racial justice, social justice, reproductive rights, rights for the LGBTQIA plus community, Mm -hmm. voting rights. Like we're not going to back down on those things. We're not going to back down when it comes to things like healthcare, Mm -hmm. but there are things that it's impacting me the same way it's impacting them. I sit in traffic on Murfreesboro Road the same way that the Republican legislators coming in from Rutherford County Mm -hmm. sit on the traffic on Murfreesboro Road. So that's not a a blue or red issue. That's an issue of how do we work together to improve the quality of life for all of our constituents. And so relationships, you know, um, right now, currently in the House, and in the Senate, and pretty much everywhere, I say less later, um, and here in Tennessee, the Republicans are a supermajority, um, meaning that in both chambers, regardless of, you know, Democrats show up or not, they can pretty much get anything passed at this given point. Um, how do you use your experience on council in building those relationships and understanding which fronts to fight on? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you plan to use that experience in the house and also how do you how do you plan on being transparent with expectations understanding the current um dynamic of what's going on in that state's legislative of republicans being a supermajority so community understands like oh okay i understand why certain things are just going to get passed and i understand why certain things may be able to get stopped but this is a dynamic um, how do you how do you use that experience, and how do you be transparent with community members and specifically constituents of District Fifty Two, so they're not just thinking like anything is just going, but it's like it's only so much that you could possibly do. Absolutely. So, um, so we know, like we said, we know that they're a right wing extremists. Like we mm-hmm. we know that, right? So that's that's on the table, right. front and center. That's on the table. <clears throat> um, what I found when I got on council, there was a certain council member that I completely disagreed with. Um, Every single thing. I mean, like, if I said the sky was blue, they said the sky was red. Like, every the simplest thing, we just had very different beliefs. So the first thought is, again, to other them. Like, what's mm-hmm. wrong with them? Why can't they see that, you know, this is going to negatively impact people? Um, I heard a quote once, and it was along the lines of, um, you can't, uh, and I think this was, uh, I feel like this was like a Facebook status from Tequila Equity, from uh, Equity Alliance. Um, so I want to give her credit because that's where I read it. But it was along the lines of um, you can't, um, you can't tell a man how hot the ground is if he's always worn shoes, mm. you know. And what I saw was that if you've never had to make the decision between paying your light bill and paying your water bill, if you've never had to make the decision between paying for groceries and buying medication, you cannot conceptually understand what that is. What you mean? I'm going to pay all of it. You know, like you cannot, you just fundamentally cannot understand that. So what I found was this person that was diabolically on the other side they were representing their community. They were mm-hmm. represent. It was people that believed like them. Right. It was people. They were doing their job. Their job was to represent the people that elected them, and this is what their people wanted. So my job was to represent the people that elected me. So once I looked at that person as a human, albeit flawed, you know, mm-hmm. albeit their uh, their doctrine was flawed, albeit um, they are are totally on a different side of an issue. When I saw them as a human, it was a, I was able to then almost take like the emotions out of it because mm-hmm. sometimes we get so hung up on like the emotions of like how could you do this? This is wrong. This is evil. And now you're not able to to use strategy. Right. So now that I see you as a person, now I can use strategy. What's important to you? 
all right? Being fiscally responsible is important to you. So now I got this social justice issue and I'm able to spend this not on the social justice lens because that's the, the lens that I care about, right. but I'm able to spend it on your lens and make you care about it and show you, you know what? This policy is being fiscally irresponsible because we haven't reviewed this contract in 20 years. And per our policy, we have to review this contract every five years. So we need to kill this contract so that we have the opportunity to review it to determine if this is the best use of taxpayer dollars. Mm. So you have to speak that language. So for me, killing this contract is a social justice thing. It's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to sit there because I'm going to lose that fight every time. Like, because we don't have the same morals. So if I try to fight you with my morals and say, you should care about what I care about, it's not going to happen. But if you're in the majority, I'm going to have to explain it the way that you can understand it to try to get leverage on it. Right. So I think that's really uh, that's really important. Uh, to your point, we are uh, in the, the super minority. Um, the Democrats have been able to pass legislation, but they've not been able to pass legislation with a fiscal note. You know, mm-hmm. what that is going to take, just being transparent, what that is going to take is getting more Democrats elected across the state. Mm-hmm. And so many times people feel like, well, the Democrats didn't do nothing for me. The Republicans didn't do nothing for me. So people have this feeling of um, being let down by previous, you know, administrations or previous Mm -hmm. elected officials, um, we have to make sure that we are electing people that believe the same way that we believe, that have the same type of moral compass that we have, and we have to get more of us in office. And that means across the state. Mm -hmm. uh, Nashville is going to be blue. Memphis is going to be blue. How are we making sure that we get some blue people in Rutherford County? Mm-hmm. How are we making sure that in East Nashville we're electing Democrats? How are we making sure that we're out here in these rural counties and we're funding candidates that believe the same way that we believe mm-hmm. so that we can have more political power in our state? Right. So those are some things I think are really important. And then lastly, you asked about transparency. That's all about being in community and being in coalitions with uh, individuals that are in the community. Mm -hmm. So that looks like sharing information like with your constituents, whether that is through social media, through, um, you know, uh, newsletters, whether that's through community meetings, but also in your coalition building. Because I've worked with coalitions before and I've had to explain to them like, you know, okay, we're working on this issue together. You're bringing the issue to me. You are the expert on that issue, and you are closest to the people that are being impacted on that issue. Well, I'm the expert on legislation, and mm-hmm. I'm the, the person that could come up with some strategy to say, let's take this approach. But it right. takes us trusting each other so that you know, hey, we're on the same page. We want the same thing. I may have to argue this in a way that you don't <coughs> love, right. but this is what we have to do to get that legislation passed. A lot going on. Yeah. <clears throat> a lot, a lot going on. Excuse me. A lot going on, and, I, and I'm glad you broke that down too, because I think just political awareness around what happens at the state legislature doesn't is really crucial. Because most people are not going down to the state legislature when it's open and you know kind of seeing what's happening. Most people are at work, yeah. you know, trying to trying to make a living or making a living. Um, you're black, and you're a woman. Two crucial things, um, I believe, especially at this given time and moment with things being the way that they are. How do those two dynamics um, play a part of um, who you are, but also your approach on things um, in the political sphere um, and just socially and just how you do what you do um, in in these spaces that you're in? So I, I think about, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois. I think about, like, the the quote-unquote talented tenth. I think about the double consciousness, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in in all times, in all spaces, I, I have to be a certain way. Like, I have to be extra polished, you know. And people want, like, authenticity. And I have to balance, like, being my authentic self with also um, being someone that people will take serious, Mm. you know? Um, I have to make sure that at the end of the day, I'm not selling myself out and I'm staying true to who I am and who I believe, but I also have to make sure that I'm able to be effective with the people that I have to work with. So here's an example. When I ran for office the first time, my first name's Delicia. You hear that name, you know that's a black woman. Um, The first time I ran for office, I was told, don't run with that name. You're not going to get elected. Mm. So you need to run as D 
or D. Danielle or, you know, something like that. Cause my middle name's Danielle. Um, so it was like, you need to run. And that was a, that was just a, a, a hard stop for me. No, this is my name. Right. I'm going to get elected with this name. If Lonnell Matthews, if Jacobia Dowell, if Taneka Vercher, if they can get elected with their names, why can't I get elected with my name? Right. So that was a hard stop for me. Well, another one was my hair. I mm. typically don't wear my hair like this, but my hair is natural. So I'm not going to straighten my hair to, to make people more comfortable with me. But I usually wear my hair twisted. Right. That's authentically who I am. I like to wear my hair like that. And it's also, you know, a little more socially accepted. And it, it's hard. It right. is hard because you're always in a space of, you know, people in your community may feel like, you're not black enough. But then you're also in a space where other people will tell you that you're too black. Mm. I had people, when I was running for office, I had people in the community say to me, you're too black. You're going to fight for too many issues for black people. And it's like, what does that mean? What does like, that even mean? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> um, you know, my background's in special education. And one thing that we um, one thing that we teach people is that when you're looking at accessibility, if you provide accessibility for the people that need the most everybody benefits. So mm -hmm. here's an example. If it's snowing outside and you got a set of stairs with snow and you got a ramp with snow and you got a person in a wheelchair, if you clear off the stairs first, everybody else gets to go, but the person in the wheelchair has to wait until you clear off the ramp. But if you clear off the ramp first, the person in the wheelchair can go and the kids that don't use wheelchairs are able to go up their ramp as well. Right. So when you provide access to the most vulnerable, that provides access for everybody. Right. So we have to make sure that we're looking at the most vulnerable in our community and making sure that we're providing access for everybody. So it's hard because you are constantly being criticized with like how you speak. It is the, con it is the constant, um, did I say, um, too much, you know, mm -hmm. did I, did I, was my voice inflection? Okay. Right. Am I coming off too aggressive? Do I look like the angry black woman? If I get up here and I cry because I'm happy because I just changed people's lives by lifting people up out of poverty, by mm -hmm. giving a $5 million raise, or if I cry because this legislation failed and I know the impacts of this, I know that somebody's going to get harmed from this, or I know that, you know, somebody's not going to have gas money to get to work. Um, if I cry, does that make me look weak? Does that make me look emotional? Mm -hmm. If I show anger in my voice, do I now look like the angry black woman? Mm -hmm. So it is just this constant. And that is like something that, um, you know, black men have their own set of things that they have to unpack. Um, but that is like this unique space that other women don't have to deal with. That's a unique space that black men don't have to deal with. But as a black woman, you're just constantly like under that microscope. And it's also the thought that like, Give it to a black woman, she can handle it. Like, we could save the world. Right. You know, like, we are running our families. We yeah. are running our churches. We are running civic organizations, community groups. And then you still have your job, like, as a legislator. Mm -hmm. So you are carrying all of these different things, and you can't drop one of them. Because the mm -hmm. minute that you drop one, people are going to... See, I told you. Right. I told you. Wait, I some, waiting for you. Yeah. I had someone tell me that I shouldn't run for office because I'm a single mom. And they literally said, well, who's going to be at home with your child? Mm. You know? And I'm like, first of all, my child's a teenager. She's very well taken care of. Shout out to her dad. We co-parent. You know, shout out to her grandma. They, you know, we have a very good support system. And my child is, you know, makes all A's and B's, doesn't mm. get in trouble. My family is taken care of. Right. But to say that I should not run for office because I'm a single mom, right. you know? Are you telling it to other people? So it's just like right. These. I wonder if they asked you that if you were not a black woman. I don't know. And, and what about you know? At, at that time, it was a, a married man in the race who had a business with small children, and it's just like okay, like he still has responsibilities mm -hmm. to his family too, right? So right. so why is it that you think that I can't juggle my responsibilities, but you know it, it's right. okay? You know, are you saying that that only the the mother should be at home with the children? What right. about fathers being home with the children? Exactly. You know. So it's just these very um, unfair expectations that are put on you. And you're constantly under this microscope and mm. just feeling like you cannot fail. Like right. failure is not an option because it's not just about you. It's right. about women everywhere and black women everywhere. And if I fail, if I, if I embarrass myself, I'm not just embarrassing myself, I'm embarrassing all of us. Mm -hmm. So it's just this immense amount of pressure at all times. That was heavy. Um, and I'm not a 
black woman. So I don't understand. I don't. I I, I get it, but I, I I would never get it. Right. Yeah. Um. Where does your strength um to continue these fights come from? Where does that support come from? Because it's not easy. Constantly, every day, especially when you make it part of your life to fight for social justice, um, and you sometimes you need a you need a break and you need a rest. And if you 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 feel like you can't take that because people are waiting for you to drop the ball, um, ah, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot of mental, physical, spiritual, emotional pressures and stress. Right? How do you continue to keep going? What does your support system look like? Um, and and how do you keep doing what you do? Yeah, um, (laughs) you know, it's it's probably cliche, and I know I'm probably a little naive when it comes to this, but I truly believe that we can make a better world. So I think about my daughter who was born here in Nashville, lifelong Nashvillean, and I think about what is the legacy I'm leaving to her? Mm -hmm. You know, what type of world will she grow up in? What type of world will my grandchildren grow up in? Mm -hmm. So... Excuse me. So even when I'm thinking about decisions, I'm thinking about how does this impact us today? But how is this going to impact my community in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years? So Mm -hmm. I'm constantly just thinking, like, what can I do to make this place better than what it already is? And what can I do to leave a legacy to my children and my children's children? Um, I'm also just really, like, optimistic um, I believe like one of my favorite things to watch during the pandemic was Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And for the first time, I felt connected to the fabric of America. And I, to see people that look like me talk about the founding of this country. Mm-hmm. And it's a line that they say, and I cry every time I hear it. And they say, tomorrow there'll be more of us. Right. You know, and I look at it and it's, it, we're together now. But it's just, we have to come together. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with one finger, you could poke somebody and do some damage. But with five fingers, when you make a fist, when we come together, the force that you put behind it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just optimistic with the thought that if we keep working together and we keep chipping at this, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And right. if we just keep taking one bite and one bite and one bite, we get to a place where we've made a difference. Right. And I lean on what I've already done. I started off talking about, you know, paraprofessionals made an average of 20000 and fighting to get more money in the budget for them in 2018. Well, just last week, I was able to sponsor and pass legislation that got an extra $5 million in the budget for support staff Mm. for our lowest paid metro workers, lifting them up closer to a living wage so Mm -hmm. that people can start off at $30,000 a year. Mm. Um, And I I look at those victories. And to some people, that's like a small victory because they're going to say it's not enough. You're right. It's not enough. But it makes a a huge difference when you're going from, if if you're going from $20 to $25 an hour, you know, that makes a huge difference for the quality of life for your family Mm -hmm. that means somebody won't have to work three jobs maybe they could work two and and for and i get it the the idea is that they just work one right but if we can get them working two that's more time with their family you know that's that's a better quality of life for them if we can get people working going from two jobs to one job it's a better quality of life for them so so i'm encouraged by what we've already done and with the hope that we can continue to do more You're speaking about bites, one bite at a time. Um, I want to give you this opportunity to really um, kind of unpack the issues um, that you kind of really want to focus on um, if elected to the House for, uh, for District 52 um, and where you want to, what kind of impact you want to have on the issues. Um, I know a lot of times, you know, um, candidates you know y'all get a minute or two to try to hit on things but i want to give you you know how much time as you need to really tell us what are some of the things you feel is important and and urgent and we're gonna get into that word urgency after that but it's really urgent um for you that we need to kind of like hit on now and again specifically for constituents of district 52 
Absolutely. So um, there's this duality, right? When you are an elected official right now, I'm the councilwoman of District 29. Mm -hmm. So I represent the people of District 29 first and foremost, but I also have responsibility to the city as a whole mm -hmm. and the, the decisions that I make impact the city as a whole. So the same thing with District 52, House District 52, my first priority is to the people of that district and that community, but I also understand that you are carrying for the whole state mm -hmm. and you are being in, uh, impactful for the whole state. So uh, I'm going to say once elected, because I believe speak things I mean, that are not speak, as though they speak, were. Speak it into existence. Into existence. Mm -hmm. um, so what I will say is is once elected, my, my first set of priorities are things that are going to impact the constituents of District 52 um, with a big focus on issues that also impact everyone in the state. Right. So, of course, we're looking at like social justice issues. We're looking at, um, you know, the, the criminalization of house houses. We're looking at women's reproductive rights. We're looking at voter rights. Like these are things that that have to happen. Mm -hmm. um, gun laws like these are things that have to happen that we have to address. And that is very urgent. But mm -hmm. I'm also really focused on what is going to make the quality of life of the people in my district better. So case in point, we look at education funding. So many people don't know this, but with our BEP formula, um, the poorest parts of Tennessee, you know, the most rural counties, they pay about 10% of their school budget and the state pays about 90%. Mm -hmm. On average, the state pays 75% of everyone else's budget and they pay 25%. In Nashville and Sevier County, we're paying 70% of our own budget, and the mm -hmm. state is only paying 30%. Mm -hmm. We have to fight for our fair share, right. and we have to get more money for our funding for education. And that looks that, that benefits everyone, whether you have children or not, because one, um, more funding for schools means our, our students are better educated. That means a better workforce. So if you're a business owner, you want a, a, a higher, a better quality workforce. And our schools are already getting the job done. They're doing more with less. But imagine what they could do if we were able to get them more funding. Right. But that also means that some of that funding, it loosens up some of our funding in the city. So just like you have your, your house budget, and if you're paying more on groceries and gas this month, that means that you're having to pull money away from somewhere else. So it's the same thing. If we can get more funding for education to our city, that means that our city can free up some of those resources for some of the things that they care about, like sidewalks and traffic calming and, you know, more firefighters, mm -hmm. more firehouse, things of that nature. So that's a big one for me. Um, also, when we're looking at like infrastructure, things like traffic and congestion, and we think about the traffic on our state routes, like how mm -hmm. do we um, help alleviate some of that congestion? How do we alleviate some of that traffic so right. that people aren't spending so much time? Because I'll tell you, sometimes if there's a wreck in my neighborhood, it might take 30 minutes just to get out because I live out, um close to a peninsula. It might take 30 minutes just to get out of that community to funnel into traffic on Murfreesboro Road. Mm -hmm. You know, so how do we deal with, you know, work with and partner with and get more investment in our community right. so that we can address the, these infrastructure needs. How do we make sure that our city and state employees are getting equitable pay so that they can have a quality of life and that they can make a living wage with access to good jobs and good benefits so that we create these pathways out of poverty? Mm -hmm. People are afraid. They're afraid that they're going to be priced out of their community. They're afraid that they're not going to be able to live in the city that they love, the city that they worked hard to build. The, the people are would make Nashville Nashville. Our people are our custodians, our bus drivers, people mm -hmm. that are working in restaurants, people mm -hmm. that are, are you go to a city office or state office, the people at the front desk that greet you. These are the people that make our city mm -hmm. run. And those people should be able to afford to live here without being afraid that they're going to lose their home, whether that's in foreclosure or, you know, the neighborhood is rapidly changing around them and they feel like they have to leave. These are issues that, that we have to address. And many times, like, those aren't the sexy issues, right? right. Like, the, the sexy issues <laughs> are like, yeah, we're going to fight for reproductive rights. Right. We're going to fight for LGBTQIA rights. We're going to fight for voting rights and civil justice. Civil, um, um, uh, social justice, mm -hmm. those, and I'm absolutely going to fight for those things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But we also have to get back to the basics on what makes the quality of life for the people in that community better and how we can address those things.
No, thank you for breaking that down because I think it's just important for people to know um, what those issues are, but also that, you know, there's different spectrums on, you know, these issues and, you know, the larger issues, you know, take time, you know, so we can't forget about, like you said, going back to the basic things that affect every single community member in Nashville, greater Nashville area, um, like traffic, (laughs) like transportation. Um, Urgency. I want to get back to that word urgency, right? Uh, Because you named um, a lot of issues, challenges that we have right now, just not in our city, but throughout the country. Um, And everybody, you hear this, we have to be urgent. You know, we need to take action now, right? Um, Which I think means something different for, for everybody because, you know, people are dying. People are being killed. People are being displaced unhoused um it's been urgent i think for a long time right um and sitting on council i think you understand the urgency to act and you 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 get the urgency from emails and phone calls from um constituents in district 29 like hey we need to do something right today yeah right um what does that urgency look like for you and what does that mean given where we are now and you know Roe v. Wade just being overturned like things are getting crucial yeah. uh, really quickly right and um, we 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 have to devise ways and, and other tactics maybe that we haven't used before mm-hmm. um, in order to combat old problems mm-hmm. um, so what are your thoughts on that Yeah, and that's a very, um, that's a great question. We have to take a layered approach, and this is what I mean by that. There are some things that take time to build out, and there are some things that we have to, like, address right now Mm -hmm. while we're building out those other systems. So, for example, when we look at this last election and people look at, you know, Georgia going blue, and, and, and when we look at, like, states getting flipped, and it's this sense of, oh, they did it so we can do it too. They did do it. But do you know what it took for them to do it? You know, mm-hmm. were you a part of those conversations 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, when they were building these tables and these coalitions? Um, and during the election time, I was working with some of our swing states and working with elected officials in those swing states to provide resources to make sure that they had information to get out to their constituents so that we were working on, you know, flipping these states. Right. And, um, and, and what I found, it was so beautiful being in community with people. And these are people that have been doing this work for like 10 years. So sometimes like somebody will come on the scene and, you know, they get to kind of like take credit for a victory. Mm-hmm. But this is a victory that people have been building up for 10 years. Right? right. So what that means to me is like when you have an urgent issue, you have to play the long game. And what is the long term plan to address this issue? But then also what is the immediate plan to mm-hmm. address that issue? So case in point, I talked about um, the, the legislation I brought at the last meeting um, that got the extra five million dollars. Um so when when MMPS they they brought their budget, you know our our mayor has a budget, our budget chair has a budget. MMPS brought this aspirational budget. Um, the five million that I asked for was on top of all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And you you hear people telling you, um, this isn't in the pay plan yet. You know, if you give them an extra five million, what are they going to do with it? You know, you hear this sense of like, can we wait until next year mm-hmm. to give people a chance? to like work through the pay plan, to give mm-hmm. people a chance to determine how the money is gonna be spent. And when I hear that, I think of the people that right now can't afford this $5 gallon, right. $5 gallon for gas. Right. I think of people right now that can't afford, you know, milk and eggs and how mm-hmm. the prices have significantly gone up. So like you can't wait. You have to find solutions right now that we can use to address these issues in tandem with long-term solutions so for me that was getting assurance from you know the school board hey right. if we get y'all this money can y'all come up with this plan to make sure that it's spent appropriately i believe in um a, a very democratic process i believe in co-governance it's not just me as an elected official saying this is what i want this is me working in community with other people 
like who's representing those workers. In this mm-hmm. case, it was SEIU. So, hey, I'm going to talk to SEIU. I'm going to mm-hmm. talk to their representatives because they, they are representing the workers that are going to be impacted. Can we figure out a plan and can we work with all these different entities to make sure that this happens, right? right? So there's this immediate need of right now, they can't wait another year right. to get a raise. They have to have this right now yeah. or else they're not going to be able to afford to do their job. Right. So there's this sense of urgency that you have to do this right Right now, but mm-hmm. then there's also um, when you rush and do things, a lot of times there are unintended consequences and there are missteps. Right. So, yes, we have to rush and do this right now, but then we also have to plan and say, mm-hmm. okay, what's the long game? What issues, this is great that this happened, but what issues might this have caused? Right. And how do we like plan for those issues in the future? What is the long term plan to make sure that we're addressing these things? And I think another great example is that is like um, the importance of this organizing is that um, you hear many organizers and activists and say the George Floyd raise that like like that was a great movement, but it could have been more powerful if we was organized and because we've already been seeing that you know police murdering you know black men unarmed black men we we've, we've been seeing that for years so what if we would have started organizing. And, and building to how do we combat this or how do we, you know, just make the, the, the most of the moment so it won't happen again or we can shift, like, legislation, like, immensely when it happened. But, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't really organize a collective around those things. So it did, like most things did. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, an awakening for many people, right, an awakening. But many people was already too focused on that stuff. But... A lot of us wouldn't organize, so it, it was really well. We, like as you see now, it just kind of you know it just died down. Um, so I think what you bring up is that long game and understand like okay, it's not gonna happen overnight. Sometimes we're battling systems, Absolutely. you know, and so it, it takes a it takes a minute, it takes a while, and we have to be in um, community and um, communication with our council persons or with our state legislators that are allies and understand the fight as well and willing to you know you know, have our backs. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. Another another urgent matter I want to bring up. You could easily stay, you know, with the council. Right? You have you could do another term, another four U term if you wanted to. Um, why did you feel like this is the moment for you to be in the house and represent uh, District fifty two? Yeah, so when I first decided to run for office, I thought about like the issues that were that I was most passionate about. You know, um, sometimes people don't realize, I mean, like you know, in theory, but you don't know for real. Like, what's a state issue? Like, what's a local issue? So a lot of times, people will call me with a state issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you tell people like, oh, that's your state representative, you need to contact your senator, you need to contact, you, you know, your state rep. Sometimes people get mad at you because they feel like you're kind of like passing the book, like, you know, right. but you wouldn't go to um, Burger King and uh, order uh, a Big Mac, right? You know, right. like you have to be at the right place <laughs> to, to get what it is that you're asking for. So what I saw was that, you know, there were all these issues that I was passionate about. Some of them were local level issues and some of them were state level issues. So I always knew that I wanted to do both. What I didn't know was that the trajectory would go so fast. Like what I didn't know was that the opportunity would present itself. Um, I'm a battle tested legislator. I've been successful in bringing legislation and passing legislation. I've held leadership opportunities. You know, um, my colleagues trust my leadership. I'm currently serving as the chair of the minority caucus. I'm the vice chair of the uh, public uh, health and safety committee. I was the former education chair. I was the former vice chair of budget and finance. My colleagues trust my leadership and I've been very effective in the time that I have been elected. Um, Our current state rep served us well for 14 years and he decided that he was not seeking re-election. So this is the time, like this is the the ideal time when we look at everything that's happening in our country right now. And especially, you know, we've talked a lot about Dobbs and Roe v. Wade. We have to stop allowing men to make decisions for women and for women's bodies and for uh, non-binary individuals, for trans men, we have to elect 
more women to make these decisions. And like women are the heartbeat of the community. Like if you think about think about back in the day, growing up and going mm-hmm. to church, you know, the, the, a lot of times the pastor may have been a man and you had a deacon board that's men, but who's running the church? Like who is the one, the yeah. church secretary? Women. Women. You know, the, the yeah. women of the church are the ones that are getting the work done. You look at our community organizations, you look at nonprofits, like Women, we get it done, you know, and we're balancing things. We are wives and mothers. We are taking care of our family. We're making sure that there's groceries in the house. We're making sure that our children have good grades and that Mm -hmm. they're looking well kept. But then we're also out here doing this work in the community. Mm -hmm. So this is just, this is the time. Like, this is just the ideal time. I think about uh, District 52. It's primarily Antioch. It's Antioch, and it's a small part of East Nashville. I know what people in East Nashville are looking at. I've worked in schools out there. I've worked with their families. I understand the issues Mm -hmm. that people are having out there. I've lived in Antioch for 20 years. I've lived Mm -hmm. in District 52 for 12 years. I know the issues that the people are facing. This is Antioch. This is the first time in more than 20 years that Antioch can have a representative that lives in their community. Mm -hmm. And that makes a difference because I can tell you what the issues are because I go through them every day. So this is just, this is the, this is the time, you know, what better time than this? And if not now, then when? Right. So... I have to ask you this. You kind of answered part part of my next question, but mm-hmm. I have to ask you this too. Um, the question was going to be what makes you the best candidate mm-hmm. because you do have an opponent. And it's weird a little bit. Um, and when I had Justin on here, he was like, you know, you know, me and Delisha were friends. Um, and I told him, like, yeah, but somebody has to win and somebody has to lose, right? And so um, what what makes you – you kind of – I think you hit on a lot of those points, but I, I want to just – just ask it anyway of like what makes you the best candidate um is it primarily all of the things that you just stated um or is it or is it other things um as well that you want to hit on yeah, a little bit of both, and, and okay. I will say, Justin's right. We are friends. Yeah. You know, we we've uh, known each other for a really, really long time, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I don't look at this because um, people are kind of like torn sometimes. You know, and people are like, "Oh, I think you know, if 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 you if there was going to be a torn race, this might be the one." <laughs> Um, and like I told him, I said, I think if people could vote for both of y'all, they, they, they probably would, yeah. you know, they probably would, but Hey, this, this will, this is also what makes, I think democracy great. Yeah. Um, that, Hey, you have options, um, and you know, and, and the community will speak and what's, I think will also makes this race in particular, like a healthy one is we know what, whatever happens, both of you all are going to do the work still. And going to support Absolutely. one another. So it's not going to be like, oh, I lost and, you know, yeah. I'm just not going to do anything. And so that's that's what I appreciate about both of you all. Like, I know at the end of the day, y'all not going to stop working. Yeah. You know, and so uh, this is for all the listeners and viewers out there. <laughs> if y'all don't know, you know, this is this is just one of those races. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let you speak on that. Yeah, um, and, and thank you for that. And, and and you're absolutely right. Regardless of the outcome, we're going to continue to to do the work. Um, and I don't look at this as you know, like I'm running against someone. I'm running for the state of Tennessee, mm. and I'm running for the people of District 52. Mm. Um, I, and again, I'm a battle tested legislator. I know what it means to work on legislation. I know what it means to withdraw legislation because mm. maybe it's not going the way that it it needs to go, or you need to work on it a little bit more. I know. What it means to take a risk. I know what it means to make a hard decision and to have to make a hard decision in the the heat of the moment. And you may think you're going to do one thing and it it may surprise you. I know what it means that that legislation I brought last week, it failed in committee. It, it, It Zero people voted for it in budget committee. Six people voted against it and six people did not vote. So there was no way that that legislation was supposed to pass. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 brought I brought it in an unorthodox way mm-hmm. and I fought to make sure that it passed. So I have the skills, I have the the voting record, I have the history. I've been on the right side of the issues as in the correct side of the issues. Mm-hmm. I've built community with people. I've built coalitions. I've worked with a, a ton of various social justice organizations and nonprofits. 
to get this work done. And I think that um, we all have a lane, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we need activists, we need community organizers, we need legislators, we need judges, mm -hmm. we need DAs, we need, right. um, we need everybody that is on the, the side of justice. Like we all have to row in the same direction to get us to where we need to go. Mm -hmm. And what I found very early on was I could do both. Like I can work in the role of an activist. I could work in the role of a community organizer, but I have a niche that I can touch the hearts and minds of people and get them to vote with me. Mm -hmm. I've had people on the other side that do not agree with me tell me, um, when you spoke on the floor, you changed my vote. Mm. My colleagues have told me that they look at me as a moral compass on an issue. And if mm. they're kind of, they're not knowing, they're kind of leaning both ways because legislation is nuanced. And right. that's the conversation people don't want to have. They want to think that it's very cut or dry. Either you're with us or you're against us. But the reality is that legislation has caveats and some things are good and some things are bad. And sometimes it's really hard decisions. It's not just always cut and dry. Right. And my colleagues have told me when you get up and speak, then I know that this is the right side of that issue. Mm. And I've just been very effective. People that, that don't agree with me that have said, we don't agree politically at all, right. but you know your stuff, you're passionate, you do your research. And I know if you're standing for something, that's the right thing. And I'm going to vote with you. So you have to, again, build those relationships. Mm -hmm. I have a proven track record of, of doing that. Uh, I'm in the community. I know what our community needs because I'm constantly having these conversations with our neighbors. You can give me a, a, a street in the community right now and I can say, oh yeah, you know, such and such live over there and this right. is what they've been dealing with. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can speak to what I've done in various parts of our district to, to bring respite to our community, to bring resources to our community. You know, again, this is uh, Antioch's time to have somebody that knows the issues, that lives right there in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, this is East Nashville's time to say, hey, you know, she's been with us in our schools out here. Right. You know, I had somebody say, hey, I remember you. You were the lady that was out there at Warner when my kids were at Warner, you know, mm -hmm. um, when my kids were at Rosebank. You were out here helping us. So this is the opportunity to elect someone that they know is going to be in community with them. Someone that's battle tested and trusted, someone that's been both in the community and on the legislative front that's been effective. And this is just, you know, this is the moment for that. Do you foresee um, any challenges? Um, this 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 would be a new role, you know. Um, and have you thought about have you thought about any challenges that you may have or may may outside of like just you know learn? It's a you know it's a learning curve and anything new you step into. But outside of that, have you thought about any challenges, any um, any pushback, any any of those things that you're you're thinking about? How am I going to use some of the things I've used in council or just in the community that I've that I've been able to uh, lean on to to mediate me, mitigate situations and get the best outcome that 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 suits just not myself but people that I'm in um, relationship with. Absolutely. You know, you don't build a building without counting the cost. Right. You know, like that's Bible. Right. Like you, you count the cost <laughs> before you build a building. Right. So in anything you already know, you know, and I've gone through and I've thought, you know, what is what is the opposition mm -hmm. or what are the challenges going to be? And I have calculated that that cost. And, and many times that is a personal cost, you know, mm. and many times that mm. is what is the cost to your family? Mm. You know, what is, that means that, you know, maybe my daughter spending a little more time with her dad this summer than she is with me because I have, you know, a, a campaign and right. I'm a city legislator and I have work, you know, right. um, but thankfully she is cared for, she is safe and she is still in community. Right. So, you know, you definitely count the cost of everything. Um, but as a person that's resilient, as a person that doesn't give up, as a person that, you know, I don't see that when I see a challenge, I don't see this as something that's going to stop me. Right. You know, I think of it as, okay, it may be a no right now, but that no is a not yet. Right. So how do I keep pushing and persevering to get past that? As we close, um, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, leave us with anything that, you know, we didn't touch on. Uh, maybe a question I didn't ask or something we didn't get it we didn't get into that you want to extrapolate on and 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 talk to community talk to to voters about and I want to give you that 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 time and space to do that now. 
Yeah, thank you so much for that. So, so this message is to the voters of District 52. Uh, I am running for you, and I would love to earn your vote. I am hardworking, I'm dedicated, and I believe one of the most important things is having a strong moral compass. So when you trust your leadership and when you trust that this person has a strong moral compass, you know that they're going to vote on the right side of issues. I won't claim to be the expert on everything because no one is the expert on everything. But what I do is I do my research and I do my due diligence so that I can make sure that anything, anything I'm voting on, any policy that I bring forth, any type legislation is well vetted and it will be in the best interest of the people that I serve. So I'm asking you to help me get there. The work that I've been able to do on council, the successes that I've had on council, the legislation I've been able to pass, the policies that I've been able to impact, the lives that I've been able to touch and change, I've done that on a city level and I want to do that on a state level and I want to do that for you and for us and for our community, but I don't get there without you. So if you're in District 52, I'm asking you to trust me and I'm asking you for your vote. On August the 4th, I'm asking you to go out and vote Porterfield. Early voting starts July the 15th. It's from July 15th to uh, July 30th. I'm asking you for your vote. I'm asking you to volunteer your time. I'm asking you for donations because guess what? Campaigns cost money and it's uncomfortable. People don't want to talk about it. But the only way that, they, that we get this message out to people is through donations and through volunteers. So you can go to my website, www.deliciaforhouse.com. You can go to any of my social media sites, Delicia TN. That's on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. There are donation links on there. There are opportunities to sign up. I need you all to help be ambassadors with me and spread the word. And what I can guarantee, what I can promise you, and what other organizations that I've been in community with, they tell you, I do not turn my back on people. I work with people. I work hard, and I'm ready to work for you. So with that, District 52, I'm asking you for your vote. Delicia, I appreciate your time. Um, <clears throat> and I enjoyed our conversation. Hope you enjoyed it too. Um, and I know the viewers and the listeners, I know they go they always enjoy every conversation. Um, but no, thank you. Um, good luck. Thank you. Um voters, vote, you know. Um, this is crucial times and in you know, we need people that are are going to push the envelope and we need folks that are, are going to be in community and, 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 you know, and that is the role of, you know, uh, state representatives to be in community, which you already do anyway. <laughs> so it's going to be, that's going to be easy, you know, kind of, you know, transitioning in the role for you. Um, but, uh, these are crucial times. These are urgent times. So, um, you know, keep doing your research, reach out, go to all the contact information that she's presented and uh, support if that's something you you know you feel in your heart you need to do. But thank you for your availability, you know, on the campaign to stop through deep dish conversations and uh gotta have you back. Absolutely. Thank you and thank you for the opportunity. For sure, for sure. All right, that's it. <laughs>